How's it going, everybody, and welcome to Found Flicks. On this ending Explained, we're looking at the new reimagining of the long-running Hellraiser franchise, known as, well, Hellraiser. This time, a young woman must confront the sadistic supernatural forces behind an enigmatic puzzle box responsible for her brother's disappearance. This is definitely a new take on the original, and doesn't have any real connective tissue to the series' continuity up to this point. It's a fresh start, which the franchise has been in desperate need of for a long time. This new film has also been in the works for many years, and I'm quite pleased with what we got. And again, it's way better than the franchise has been in a long time, arguably since Bloodline back in 1996. Yep, 30 years ago. Everything after was pure crap. This version feels like a genuine homage to many elements of the first two films, even throwing in bits of their scores at points. But it also really carves its own take on the series, shaking things up in some interesting ways. For example, the Lament puzzle box is more complicated than before, and now we have a new female pinhead. Of course, it's impossible to replace Doug Bradley, and it was smart of them to really try something different with the character. Fortunately, Jamie Clayton is a great presence and really brings a weight and terror to her performance. Also, the new Cenobite designs are more gruesome than ever. No leather bondage outfits this time, as it's their actual flesh that makes up their outfits. Neat and disgusting. My favorite. There's a lot here for longtime fans to appreciate, and fortunately, it's been worth the wait. So let's check out the new Hellraiser, breaking down the story, how the puzzle box works this time, just what the Cenobites are all about, and and explaining the ending and what it means. Things kick off in Belgrade, where woman Serena is on the hunt for the infamous Lament Configuration Puzzle Box, which we know calls the Hell Priest known as Cenobites into our world. She meets with a shady looking guy with an exchange of briefcases and everything, a fat stack of cash in exchange for the box. She works for the mysterious and quite wealthy Mr. Voigt, next seen at a lavish party at his estate in the Berkshires. A young man, Joey, looks a bit out of place, nervously making his way through the crowd. He meets Serena, who offers that Voigt would love to meet him and gives him directions to another room. Be there in 10 minutes, he's told. He heads to the location, which is a vast hall featuring several artifacts, along with the Lament configuration out on its own. We can see the box has gotten some substantial upgrades from prior, as it has a longer and different shape, not the simple cube that we are used to, because it's already changed shapes before. Joey curiously picks it up, and Voight joins him, calling it beautiful. Joey agrees, but wants to know what it is exactly. He chooses his words carefully. It's a puzzle box, the only one of its kind, and it has been forgotten until now. It's almost finished, she says, and encourages him to try and solve it. He fiddles some parts around and wants to know if he'll get some kind of prize. And Void admits that he will, at least. He turns the top, and the whole thing clicks open. He clicks it back into place, and it triggers a sharp blade that digs into his hand. He pulls it off, spilling blood onto the box, and attempts to flee. Void activates a switch that sends a door down, blocking his path. Joey is growing weaker, his vision blurry, and he's confused by what what is happening here. The box continues to change shape on its own, and chains fly out slicing his leg. More and more are unleashed, and he's lifted painfully into the air. Voight tries to concentrate over all the anguished screams, and prays to the gods. I am a penitent of the Leviathan. Grant me this audience, grant me this boon, he calls to the sky, and thunder begins to rumble. The Leviathan is essentially the god of the Cenobites, the king of hell, you could say. I don't know why you'd want to contact him. Yeah, probably better not to bring the king of hell into your house. Let's there's some kind of evil gift that they can provide. We jump forward to six years later, right into an uncomfortable and kind of unnecessary sex scene. It's just regular sex, not weird Clive Barker freaky stuff, so what are we doing here? What's the point? The dude, Trevor, accidentally ruins the moment when saying, I love you, and the passion is killed in an instant. Trevor. Oh boy. Just trying to pork, you don't have to bring feelings into it, Trevor. We learn that Riley has been struggling with substance abuse issues, and her overbearing brother is 
always on her case about it. She also awkwardly introduces Trevor to the group, including Matt, his boyfriend Colin, and roommate Nora. You're like, they're all gonna die. Everyone gives him a strained welcome, despite having just heard them porking moments earlier. Maddie later expresses his concern over dating Trevor. What kind of guy hooks up with someone in a 12-step program? She's insulted, but he clarifies that he's just worried about her, as she has been clean the past six months. Well, that's good. Too bad she's a liar. Riley is frustrated. At least let her keep the one vice of sex, you know? But there's more issues at hand, as the dreaded rent payment is coming soon, and he refuses to cover for her anymore. She argues that she's trying her best, and agrees with him to not see Trevor. Yet she immediately goes right back to hanging out with him. Our first indicator she's not as on the level as it's first presented. Kind of a liar. Oh well. She laments that she should be looking for a better job, and Trevor clicks his lips in consideration. She forces him to tell her what's on his mind, and he has a potential big ol' payday waiting for them. In his delivery work, he deals with all kinds of billionaire collector kind of stuff, and knows of one leftover shipping container just sitting in an abandoned holding area. Hmm. Wonder why? Certainly there's no reason for that. There's sure to be some goodies inside, and whatever they can get for it, they will split the profits. He gives her one last chance to back out, but she's committed, taking a grateful sip on a flask. Okay, so well, not exactly sober as it turns out, and hanging out with this guy doing unsavory things. Kinda starting to make me lose sympathy for her, you know. They crack their way into the building, and find the promised shipping container. There's a smaller safe inside, and with no combo, they use brute force to bust it open. Inside there's another box, and guess what it contains? Yep our favorite little puzzle box. He's disappointed, thinking there was going to be stacks of bonds or something, but she feels that this thing has to be worth something. She'll take it if he doesn't want it. He thinks that's a great idea. She can hang on to it until he can find an appraiser. Mm-hmm. I don't trust this Trevor guy. She returns home, making a bunch of noise that draws Maddie's attention. He accuses her of drinking and using pills, yet she still insists that she's clean. Liar! He points out that she can't even take off her shoes, and she explodes that he only wants her around so he has something to fix. She does admit to being drunk, and things have reached a boiling point for Matt, feeling he has no choice but to kick her out. Wow, thanks for all the support, bro. But honestly, she hasn't exactly been holding up her end of the bargain here. They pretended at first that she had gotten her shit together, and then you find out about 20 minutes later that is not the case. She has a straight up hissy fit, throwing her belongings around and kicking off a car mirror, and is tempted by her old enemy, finding a stash of pills hiding in the trunk. She at least wisely dumps them out and gets a makeshift bed together, remembering the box is still back there. Seeing this as her potential last opportunity, she retrieves the pills from the ground and downs them all at once. Wow, really not helping on the sympathy side at this point. She's kind of an idiot, I'm sorry to say. She attempts to figure out how to work the box and starts rotating bits around. A hole appears and she stupidly jams her finger right into it. It snaps and nearly gets her, but opens up on the side. She keeps spinning until she gets all the parts to match. The blade is triggered, which she luckily avoids. Even if it didn't get her blood, she has brought the Cenobite's attention. The wind begins to howl and the pills over take her. She collapses on a merry-go-round that begins to spin furiously. She spots an ominous figure nearby, the sight of which sobers her up quick. A voice croaks, the blade was meant for her, and the lady barks for her to come with us. If not, you bring us another, she commands. I'm gonna just do that voice for all of them. A bloody pattern appears on her shirt, and from the hole, chains appear and go right for her brother, tearing his flesh off. It's you or another, like it said, it's going after your, your bro. It was just a dream, yet Matt is still rattled by Riley's leaving. Colin tells him to just give her a call 
call, but he knows that she won't answer, sending him off into the night to find her. He discovers her out of sorts, and when grabbing the box, accidentally jams himself on the blade. He slaps her awake and moves her over to a wall. He then leaves her to go rinse the wound, and she's still looking quite drugged out. Matt's blood gets absorbed into the surface of the box, and the blade gratefully retracts. As the lady told her, you are someone else, and now that it has Matt's blood, he's become marked as the next target. The box continues to change shape, and Matt's vision grows blurry. The lights become overwhelming, and in the mirror he sees himself, but his reflection does not budge. Blood begins to gurgle from the sink, and the walls slough away, revealing the dark stone corridors of the Hell Priest dimension. The box settles into its next configuration, and we hear Matt screaming inside. Riley rushes to his aid, but there's no sign of him in the bathroom, beyond some leftover blood on the sink. Yeah, he gone. <laughs> in the morning, there are only more questions, and the few drops of blood aren't enough for the police, who aren't even sure that it was Matt's. Riley is insistent that it is. She saw him get cut and everything, but as they point out, she was completely blitzed on pills at the time, so, you know, she's not the most trustworthy witness. Colin sternly pins this all on her. He didn't want her to leave, and at the accusation, Riley excuses herself. Man, everyone's just kind of a dick, but also it is kind of totally your fault. She jumps right back into Trevor's arms for another carnal session, at least something to help distract her from all the dark feelings. She can't even enjoy that as another Cenobite appears taken in the show. Oh yeah. She explains that she's been hallucinating, despite the drugs never having had that effect before. Besides, she's sober now too, so how would that work exactly? She shows off the box to him and describes how it can change shapes, thinking it's changed onto its next step. She offers it to him, and he quickly backs away at even touching it. He at least believes in the danger of the box, but they don't know anything else about where it came from. She knows there's gotta be a name somewhere related to the warehouse, and this leads them to Serena, now housed in a medical facility. It was her name on the deed, and she corrects the crate wasn't being shipped in, but locked up. And it belongs to her old boss, Voigt, who she describes as monstrous and sadistic. The last thing she did for him was sort out his estate and admits to not being proud of her actions. I mean, you did lure that one guy Joey to his death, essentially, so... She warns that what they're after is dangerous. It ended his life, and it could end yours, too! Trevor has heard enough and snaps for her to come along. Riley doesn't listen, placing the box on the table, and Serena immediately notices that it's been open. It's not in its first configuration. Riley explains that it was her brother that opened it, and she knows that he's gone now, right? And that she, too, has seen these hell priests for herself. A lot of people thought Roland was crazy in his obsession with the Cenobites, which he called angels. Yeah, they, they're definitely friendly, that's for sure. They're here to help, not tear you to bits with their chains. You'd think the devil would know the devil, she croaks. Trevor goes off to fetch some water, and she grabs at the box, wanting to lock it back up. They fight for its possession, and in the melee, Serena gets poked by the blade, and she instantly knows her fate is sealed. She glumly tells him, yeah, it's okay, she did it to herself, and the two take their leave. Soon after, the Cenobites come to collect her. She's wheeled into another room. The lights begin to buzz, and more walls move away, exposing a dark hall along with energy beams. The Cenobite steps out wheezing and she gets to her feet. It enters the room but passes right by her over to another patient in bed. She seizes the chance to sneak past, looking down a hall to a spinning flesh destroyer. That looks fun. She quickens her pace and the creature is there waiting. Down another hall, there's another and another blocking her at every end. They surround her and all she can mutter is sorry as she falls to her knees. She begs for mercy and one wraps his arm around her. The gasp takes a pin from its eye and puts it in her mouth, smiling to save your breath for screaming. Ooh. That's pretty alarming. Riley digs into Roland's history and learns more about his disappearance and finds his house from the opening scene. Trevor enters with more troubling news. Serena has vanished. She was there one moment and then just gone. She shows off what she's learned. The same thing basically happened six years ago. Several people connected to Voight all went missing and now it's happening again. She's adamant that they have to check out his place as it's not too far away. Yet Trevor is sheepish as usual and wants
wants nothing more to do with all this madness. She then gets a call from Colin having hit a dead end and wanting to team up, but she decides to rebuff them and goes on her own. She drives out to the house and is surprised that the gates open right up for her. It's covered in a black metallic netting or shield of sorts covering the entire exterior. The front door is locked, but on the side, conveniently, she finds a window left open. She scours the rooms and finds herself back in the great hall from the opening. She spots the switch panel and tries them out, some kicking the lights on and another shutting down that cell door. She tries more and more, one causing another layer of metal to shift into place over the strange skylight. In Voight's office, she finds many drawings of various Cenobites he's encountered, along with an intricate blueprint for the design of the house barrier. He's put a lot of thought into this thing is the point, and it wasn't there six years ago. He's been doing something else, even though we think he's dead. In a book marked with a hexagon, a six-sided symbol, she uncovers the full purpose of the puzzle box. There are six total configurations for the box, the final being Leviathan, or power. She keeps flipping through the pages and comes to a drawing of a floating object in the sky that also resembles the final configuration in appearance. Audience with God, the caption reads. Right, now we get that in the beginning, Voight was trying to reach this final configuration in order to have an audience with the Leviathan God in order to be granted some kind of gift. Riley is then startled, hearing Maddie's voice whispering her name. She chases the sound, and he calls out for help, sending her downstairs. She does find him there, standing in front of a mirror, and he turns to face her appearing forlorn. She's flabbergasted. Is it really you? Do you want it to be? He inquires. She nods emotionally, and gives him a big hug. Not all is well, as when touching his back, the entire half of his skin is gone. Well, that's probably not good. Bring me back, he whimpers, and she backs right up into the rest of the Scooby gang. As they kind of have indicated with the mirrors, it's like their dimension is on one side and we're on the other, so she's kind of seeing Maddie stuck in the hell dimension, and then we have the version of him here. As we know, the box can provide its user a gift, and the implication is if she completes the puzzle, that the Cenobites can actually bring her brother back to life. Still need a few more victims first. The others have decided to show up to help out, even though she specifically told them not to. Well, we need some more bodies anyway, so good thing you're here, I suppose. Riley and Colin pair up to have a chat, leaving Nora and Trevor on their own. He does at least find some nice dusty booze, and out of respect for Riley, goes to drink it in the bathroom. Nora finds more switches and tries them out, one exposing a hidden door in the wall. Riley shows Colin what she knows about the box, that there's three configurations to go, and whomever possesses the final one is granted passage to another realm and a meeting with her god. In the end, you're offered a choice for your ultimate desire. Life, knowledge, love, and resurrection. You're not gonna choose lament, right? Who would do that? That's crazy. He's not following, and she makes it abundantly clear that this could possibly bring her brother back. Exploring within the walls, Nora can hear their muffled discussion, but the door shuts, trapping her inside. Trevor shows up, uselessly trying out more switches, and we see that the box is now in someone else's hands, and they begin to click it. Nora is just about to say something and gets stabbed in the back by the box, everyone hearing her howling within the walls. Well, looks like we've got a mystery attacker on her hands, and I'm venturing that it's the presumed dead Voight. Down the corridor, the Cenobite appears and growls at her. She busts into the main hall and runs into the rest of the crew. They see that the box is jammed into her back, and Colin removes it, causing more bloodshed. Yeah, I don't know what the option is, but that wasn't a good one. The blade retracts back into the box, and someone is watching the scene, definitely looking like Void isn't so dead after all. Nora's vision goes blurry, and she mumbles about hearing bells. They load up everyone in the van, and see doorways appearing in the road behind them. Watch out for that. Could just fall right into hell. That'd be inconvenient. They quickly get lost beyond the gates and bicker over which way they're going. Nora comes to, and the back of the van begins to stretch and extend out. The same goes for the front, eventually fading away completely into darkness. 
she gasps for the others, and the lights come up now in the Cenobite stone halls. One guy appears along with our new chatterer. We also finally see their leader, the female Cenobite known as Pinhead, making her debut. She unleashes several chains, and they stab painfully into her body from every direction. She directs them back, bringing Nora down to face her. She begs, God, please no, and begins to pray. Pinhead is curious to know what exactly she's praying for. Salvation, Nora grumbles. She considers the feeling of this concept, a joyful note without change, without end, heaven, as some might call it. She dismisses that there's no music in that and shows her what's more their speed. She removes one of her pins and jams it all the way through her throat, growling, there is so much more the body can be made to feel and she'll feel all of it before we're through. That doesn't sound like fun. Riley is able to see what's happening in the rear view and Nora is pulled off the chain, skinning her clean. Woo! The sight distracts Colin, sending them veering off the road. They run for the back, but it's too late. Nora is gone. Now it's time for a brief word from this week's sponsor, Dr. Squat. If you don't know the brand, they boast a wide variety of soaps, hair care, deodorant, and more. Everything you need to have your whole healthcare routine covered. Best of all, all the ingredients are 98% natural in origin, without any harsh chemicals or harmful ingredients. They come in a wide variety of excellent scents as well. My personal favorite right now is the Wood Barrel Bourbon Deodorant. It smells great, and you know it's aluminum-free. So I already love the good doctor's products, but you know what's coming up? The holidays. So what better gift for all those hard to shop for on your list than the gift of smelling fresh and clean. If you aren't sure where to start, they have special holiday bundles, including all the most popular limited scents. There's several other bundles, including 15 select soap bars, six-pack deodorants, hair care with soap bars, and even their latest product, lotion, which we all know comes in handy on a cold, blistery winter day gotta be moist. As an exclusive special offer for Foundflix viewers, new customers can get 25% off on orders of $40 or more. Use my code DSQEE25 down at the link in the description below. With a van out of commission, they argue over what to do next, while Riley is consumed with regret. This is all her fault. She grabs the box and attempts to throw it away, but Pinhead stops her, urging her to wait. She suggests that she accept the pain that she has wrought, teasing greater delights that await if she continues the puzzle. When asked who they are exactly, Pinhead describes them as explorers in the furthest regions of experience, and their gifts are boundless. She rebuffs their gifts, but Pinhead disagrees. You know what their god can offer. They could bring him back. Just two more, and he is yours. Feed it your pain and their blood to unlock the final configurations. Riley cries she's already done enough and Pinhead sniffs enough is a myth. The blade goes off and this time gets her, meaning she has been officially marked by the Cenobites. You know the deal. It's you or another. So it's up to you to decide. The others catch up and soon all get to encounter the creatures for themselves. Colin in particular is frozen in fright at the sight, but no worries as he's not marked the creature walks right past him to Riley. The chatterer shoves the gate off their hinges, pinning them to the wall. Through the window, she sees Pinhead watching. Trevor reaches his arm out, allowing the chatterer to take a big old bite. That's like their whole thing, watch out for the teeth, bro. Seeing the blade gives Riley an idea, and she stabs it into the creature. Now it should be claimed according to the rules. Pinhead honestly doesn't seem too bothered, and unleashes her chains upon them, tearing them completely to shreds. Well, no love lost there, I suppose. Just get another one. Probably a ton of those hell priests lying around. Colin sets them free, but the creatures are still slowly following after. They have no choice but to track back to the house and are able to activate the metal net just in time. While it's good that the net works to keep them out, they can't stay in here forever. Thanks to Trev losing a lot of blood, he will not make the night. 
Oh well. Riley knows it's her blood they're after and vows that no one else is gonna die. So she suggests that he take Trevor and go, but Colin does not want to take his chances with the creatures regardless. Meanwhile, Rowan reveals himself to Trevor and it's clear the two are in cahoots. The whole plan was for Trevor to feed the box and to him, Riley was just a mark. Well, that's rude. He agrees that things have certainly taken a turn, but he knows he can handle it. There's only one more config to go anyway. The strange ornate machine jammed through Roland's body starts creaking and causes him considerable discomfort. He grabs at Trevor, grunting to finish it, and in a hurry too. Every second for him is a lifetime. Get this thing out of me, he screams. Well, I guess he doesn't like his nerve-tightening machine crammed into his chest. No. Sounds fun. You wanted sensation and you got it, buddy. Just not a good one. Riley unlocks the next stage and dodges the blade. She has a crazy plan to lure another Cenobite in so they can take it out via the box. They're pleased to find Trevor Wake and put him into position to man the gate switches. He opens the outer shield and the coast looks clear. Riley sets out by herself, encountering Pinhead. She turns and they are flanked on all sides of her. She asks him to take her like they did the others and the gasp disagrees. She thinks they set them free and the weeper encourages her to release herself. Colin snatches her and they run back to the house with the demons following after. They do manage to capture one inside and it appears to have no eyes. Stupidly, Colin shouts for her to be careful and the thing roars right at them, flailing its limbs all around. It gets caught in another door, also trapping Riley on the other side. Too bad she dropped the box and sends Colin to where she left it. He can't find it because Roland took it, who stabs him through with the box. Trevor points out he didn't have to do that, but all he cares about is bringing forth his precious Cenobites. Riley figures out who Roland is in the flesh as it is, he grumbles, and Trevor is caught. He knew the whole time what was going on to Riley's disbelief. He even put the thing in her hands, and all he can muster is a simple sorry. As Roland reveals, he is being handsomely paid, and that was more than enough to sell her out. They're all a bit confused, which Roland helpfully lays out. He, as we saw six years ago, has already gone through the six stages of the puzzle and reached the end. As for the gift that he requested, his lifestyle left him wanting more, so he chose liminal or sensation. Though, as we can see, it wasn't exactly what he was expecting. As the instrument is shoved right into his body. Its purpose is to prey on his nerves, pulling them in random cycles, stopping just enough for him to never grow numb. Yeah, that's probably not the idea of sensation that he had in mind. It sounds pretty awful. He understands now that their gifts will always be tainted. All they give is pain. It's a trick. He sees all of it. The box reaches its final Leviathan stage, as seen in the drawings, and Roland commands Trevor to let them in. Who does as asked? Colin attempts to make a break for it, and Trevor grabs at him, trying to convince him it's no use now. He keeps going onwards, and Roland sends him after to fetch him. Blood begins to pool upwards from the box, becoming a steady stream flowing towards the skylight. Roland growls, Come and get it, you bastard! I'm still here! And demands an audience. Outside, Pinhead looks up to the sky full of lightning, and their leviathan totem begins to crest through the clouds. Getting that doorway going. The doorway between dimensions is wide open. Trevor continues to weakly pursue Colin, warning that they're coming. He bumps into another Cenobite, telling him, yeah, we're already here, as more join the fun. The space spike continues to enter our world, and it's quite substantial. Pinhead starts to strut towards the room, but the shields are put back in place. Roland grunts, no, her chains can't reach him here. He says to tell their god he has his disciples and his priest, and divulges the real reason behind the house. It's not a fortress, but a cage designed to to trap the Cenobites until they make things right again. Pinhead accuses him of rejecting their gift, and he screeches for her to take it out. She marvels. All this is for them, but he corrects it's for him. He always gets what he wants. All right, whatever, Voight. 
How did you even build this thing without anyone knowing? Riley crawls through the crack under the door and retrieves the box. She then flips the switches to let them all in. Colin is overtaken by the gasp while Pinhead descends upon Roland. He weakly mutters to take it back. He doesn't want it anymore. The gasp lifts her hand, plunging the room into darkness, and several wires appear binding Colin's hands and tugging at his limbs. Trevor enters, followed by Riley, commanding for her to stop. Roland begs to let him die, but he's let down. There is no retreat once the threshold has been crossed. All you can do is search for great thresholds. Riley argues with the gasp that Colin was never chosen, but he in fact was, and she is reminded that if not Colin, she must choose another to take his place. As for Roland's whole plan, you can't ungive a gift given, but perhaps there's another one that he'd prefer. She takes his head in her hand, considering that they might have been wrong about him. He never actually was after sensation his whole life. All of his conquests were more about power than anything else. Power, he repeats, and for his efforts this time, she offers him the Leviathan configuration, aka power. I'm sure it's going to be just fine. They won't do anything weird at all. With the others, Riley has made her choice, turning the box on Trevor. He makes a move and she jabs him in the gut. And thanks to this, Colin is set free. The parts in Roland's device start going haywire and clink down to the floor in chunks. He's left with a gaping hole in his chest that begins to reassemble itself back to normal, the skin fusing itself together. Pretty cool effect. Pinhead continues, Our power lies in dominance, the sovereignty of anguish. Roland cackles triumphantly, and an extra big chain crashes through the ceiling for him. Now it will be yours to wield, she tells him. More wires appear, gripping around Trevor's neck and arms, tearing right through the flesh. The big chain grabs Roland like a giant claw machine, and Pinhead teases, He will know our finest gift. We have such sights to show you. And he's hoisted upwards towards the Leviathan. So he got his audience he was after, but also Riley completed the six stages, so it's time for her to claim her own gift. Pinhead reminds her of her options and brings back her brother, crying that he just wants to go home. She weighs her choices with tears in her eyes and decides to turn them down. She knows their rewards and wants nothing from them. But also, it's like if you brought him back, he's probably going to be like a zombie or he's going to like eat people. You know, it's not going to just be like, hey, it's your brother. There's going to be some kind of twisted Cenobite thing on the whole angle because they're not actually angels. They're actually evil, despite what Roland thought. I don't I wouldn't think Angel when you see these things anyway. She knows her brother is gone. That's cool with the Cenobites too, reciting that she has chosen a life of regret. Knowing everything you've done, everyone you've hurt and lost, your suffering has barely begun. You have chosen to live with that weight, bitter and brief. See, they're cool with emotional pain too. Still pain, you know, it counts. She has chosen the lament option and the box transforms back to its initial stage one cube shape. Ah, here we go again. No. The killing along with the Cenobites have been put away for now until someone else stumbles upon the box. The pair hobble outside and are able to make their way to safety, weighing if she made the right choice or not. Yeah, probably because the Ceno crew isn't exactly forthcoming with what they mean exactly by their gifts. You might end up coming back as an evil zombie or something. I mean, that wouldn't really be a surprise. Roland gets to rediscover this with his second choice of power. He is awoken, attached to a kind of angel wings platform, now completely hairless. His flesh peels away all over his body, like layers of meaty fruit by the foot. The glowing light before him of Leviathan grows more powerful, and pins are jammed into his skin. Yep, he's getting transformed into a Cenobite himself. So again, you know, you get power, you can live forever and stuff, but they don't mention that you're going to be wearing your skin as an outfit for the entire time either. Well, Tricky, tricky. Finally, his mouth is unfolded on both sides, the presence now a kaleidoscope of blinding light. He blinks again, and his eyes change color to a milky black, and he suddenly is no longer in pain. That's right, he's ascended into a new state of existence, now joining the Leviathan's army as another hell priest. Who knows? Maybe he'll like that better than the thing jammed into him, twisting his nerves all the time. It seems like an improvement, but it's hard to say. Now I understand, based on what we've seen with Void, the other Cenobites must all be previous players of the puzzle that completed it, and also in the 
Dominion chose power. That brings us to the conclusion of this ending explained for Hellraiser. But don't forget, before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. What did you think of the new Hellraiser and its ending? Where do you rank it in the franchise overall? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Foundflix. See you next time.